Crest in the Afternoon is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Broadcasting from the studios of Ave Maria Radio in Ann Arbor, Michigan, Al Cresta is ready for conversations of consequence. This is Cresta in the Afternoon. Well, good afternoon to you. I'm Al Cresta, thanking you for joining me on this All Souls Day. Yesterday we had All Saints Day, and that's where we commemorate the faithful departed who have been perfected in Christ-likeness and now are fully in the communion of saints, uh, beholding uh, the beatific vision, right? Today, we spread the net wider, and we commemorate all the faithful departed, including those in purgatory. It's a day of prayer, a day of remembrance, um, and uh, we are taught that through prayer and intercession, and alms and visits to cemeteries, we can help the poor souls in purgatory. And so we're going to talk about that today. Uh, we will be, Peggy Stanton will be joining us in um, about 4.40 this afternoon, Eastern Time, to talk about this week's uh, gospel reading. It's from Matthew chapter 23, verses 1 through 12. By the way, Matthew 23 is a turning point in the gospel. It's where... There's no longer any real dialogue or debate between Jesus and the Jewish leadership. We move from debate to denunciation, and they're really going at it here. So that's coming up. We're going to take time in the second hour of today's program with Steve Ray. We are going, even though we didn't quite make make it in October, the month of the rosary, we are going to pick up on the who, what, when, where, why of the mysteries of the rosary. It's part two for us, all right, part two. And then we're also going to be joined today um, by Randall Smith, who's the author of a wonderful book, From Here to Eternity, Reflections on Death, Immortality, and the Resurrection of the Body. In fact, in the first segment of today's program, I'm going to read from a portion of this book uh, where we take a look at the interface between life, resurrected life and death. And then he'll be with us to answer questions about All Souls Day. Why? Why celebrate All Souls Day? Let me share with you, well, actually, we don't have time. I was going to read from Gaudium at Spes 18, which I find very uh, moving, but we'll maybe sneak it in some other uh, time in today's program. Right now, though, let's get to today's headlines. Thanks, Al. Good afternoon, everyone. This is your Romney Maria Radio News for Thursday, November 2nd. It's the commemoration of all the faithful departed. Today's news brought to you by Ave Maria University. Your vocation location is at AveMaria.edu. Pope Francis says a two-state solution is the way to end wars like the one raging in the Gaza Strip. Speaking with Italian media, the pontiff also called for Jerusalem to be given a special status. He pointed to the 1993 Oslo Accords, which established limited Palestinian autonomy, and called for two well-defined states. President Biden says over 70 Americans so far have been able to leave war-torn Gaza. A U.S.-Palestinian citizen says it's been a struggle just to get out through the Rafah border crossing into Egypt. This is my fifth attempt to leave. Um, We evacuated our house about 19 days ago. Most Americans are expected to evacuate Gaza in the coming days. 
The Rafah border crossing was opened after Egypt, Hamas, and Israel agreed to up to 500 people may cross daily. Eric Trump is testifying in his civil trial against the Trump Organization one day after Donald Trump Jr. took the stand. The state attorney general is accusing members of the family, as well as others in the Trump Organization, of inflating financial statements to get favorable loans and other benefits. The Trump family denies the allegations. One of the five former Memphis police officers involved in the death of Tyree Nichols will plead guilty. An attorney for Desmond Mills Jr. said he'll be changing his not guilty plea to guilty in a hearing. Nichols dying in January, days after a traffic stop where officers were seen kicking, punching, and hitting him with a baton. And the Texas Rangers are the World Series champions for the first time in franchise history. Texas defeating the Arizona Diamondbacks 5-0 in Game 5 of the Fall Classic in Phoenix. From your Avi Maria Radio.net news desk, I'm Steve Clark. Good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. Let me lead off by saying congratulations to another member of the EWTN radio family, St. Gabriel Communications in Garden City, Kansas, celebrating their eighth year with EWTN. So congratulations for the whole team there at KSGC 100.5 FM. Eight years with us at EWTN. Congratulations. I'm going to do something now, which I would have done yesterday had I actually seen this piece. Uh, at the close of uh, All Saints Day, I came across a litany, which is actually a wonderful list. I call them Obstacles to Sanctity. And it's written by uh, Joseph R. Wood, who serves in the School of Philosophy and Theology at uh, Notre Dame in Australia. But he brings up, the reason I like it is because he brings up common attitudes, uh, basically lies, lies of the world, the flesh, and the devil that interfere with our, you know, seeking perfect conformity to Christ. But I think you'll notice some of these attitudes, and no doubt you've experienced them. So let me remember there's a little bit of satire to this. He says, on bad days, on bad days, I still can believe that convenience is an intrinsic good, that inconvenience is an intrinsic evil, that ease and comfort are the ends of life and the means to heaven, that eating and exercise and entertainment could be all fulfilling, that earthly success reflects spiritual merit, that he who dies with the most toys wins. That hell is empty, and neither I nor anyone I know will change that. That really Martha had the better part, and that her sister Mary got the easier deal. That what I do is more important than what I am. Yes, those are on bad days, things that I believe, I still believe. And again, on bad days, I still believe that when Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world, he was kidding. And that because he was kidding, we can make everything in this world perfect. That bourgeois suburban values are deeply Catholic. That self-giving is for others. That more money would make me happier. That more fame and recognition would make me happier. That more power and influence would make me happier. Uh, That a hidden life is a failed life. In a bad day, I still believe that intellectuals know more about reality than shopkeepers, landscapers, construction workers, and plumbers. And that truth, beauty, and goodness are nice words, but impossible to know. That I can win the lottery without buying a lottery ticket. That a college education is the key to salvation. 
that my soul is in great shape, that I have suffered great trials, tribulations, and crosses, that venial sins don't matter, that Satan is a fiction, that spiritual combat was just for centuries earlier. You know, on a bad day, I still can believe that something on my iPhone is worth missing in a moment of prayer. That air conditioning is, per se, unqualified good. That technological progress is salvific. That all religions are equally true. That no religion is worth dying for. That there could possibly be something more interesting than what goes on at the altar at Mass. On a bad day, I can still believe that God is always nice. That nice people must be good. That all the saints were nice. That more autonomy for a person is always good. That autonomy is real freedom. That advertisements might have something to say about freedom and happiness. That not getting my right of way in traffic is someone else's sin. That not getting my way, in all cases, is someone else's sin. And that, really, there are no other sins. (laughs) On bad days, I can still believe that individual parts are always better than the whole. That the whole is always better than the parts. That God is more imminent than transcendent. That God is not imminent at all. That I can read my way to holiness. That I can worry my way to holiness. That the gates of hell might well prevail. That winning the argument is the most important thing. That I know everything worth knowing or can find it with Google. And that my thoughts and and ways are God's thoughts and ways. Especially if fact-checked by Google. On a bad day, I can still believe that the appearances of people are their full reality that I've done great good in my life on my own, that the wrong I've done is always someone else's fault, that my disappointments are not gifts, that the world did not exist before I did, that the world really needs to hear my opinions, that Christ didn't really mean that the rich young man should sell everything. But on good days, which as conversion proceeds, and they become more and more frequent and crowd out the bad days, I don't believe any of those things. And I begin to see how the Beatitudes shine uh, through, uh, as they did for all whom we celebrated yesterday in the Litany of Saints, and those unnamed who joined them. Again, Joseph R. Wood in the School of Philosophy and Theology at Notre Dame in Australia. It's the Litany of I Still Can Believe. I love it. It's a cluster of common attitudes that are obstacles to our ongoing sanctification. Well, today is All Souls Day, and like I said, I would have read that yesterday had I had it in my hands. But today is All Souls Day, and of course, this is the day where we commemorate all the faithful departed, all the faithful departed. Yesterday, we commemorated the faithful departed who are perfected in Christ's likeness and are saints. And these, both these days bring us to the place of thinking about death. And I was looking over uh, Joseph Ratzinger's book, uh, Eschatology, where he talks quite a bit about death. And I summarize a few of his thoughts that I thought were worth sharing. When he looks at the question of death, and he looks at modern society, he notices that People don't like death because it violates our sense of autonomy. It's the final no. You can't have it your way. And so we repress it in two ways. We try to hide death away. Or two, we trivialize death. We try to hide it 
by shipping the dying and the dead away from us and hiding them in hospitals and nursing homes and morgues. In the past, we would hold the wake in our home rather than in a funeral parlor. Now death is sanitized, kept from the living. That's the first way we repress death. We hide it away. Secondly, we repress death by trivializing it. Yeah, when we flood the airwaves and radio and television and novels and video games with images of death that make it just another thing in the common flow of life, hey, everybody does it, no big deal. Neither of these positions pay proper respect to the scriptures or the teaching of the church. There's a metaphysical dimension uh, to death, and it's, uh, it's of deep and abiding importance in the life of man. It's not just a cessation of brain or heart functionality. Uh, it's not just a spectacle uh, to be watched uh, in boredom, but it's a challenge uh, of dramatic weight to be faced each day. Modern culture wants death quickly and without much ado, with no pain, no encounter on our part. By reducing death to just a natural byproduct, we try to alleviate our fear of the inevitable. We try to manage it and take control of it. We technologize it. We reduce its metaphysical dimension. By trivializing death, we disconnect it from how we ought to live. And how we live uh, ought to have some impact on the way we approach death. You know, in Scripture, we know that death is the consequence of Adam and Eve's personal mortal sin, which, again, infects the whole human race. Yes, even the righteous will die, but the righteous and virtuous can die a death in Christ of total consummation, whereas the death of the sinner is a death to destruction and decay. We pray for a good death, a death in which hope reigns and fellowship continues. Last year, I watched my mother die at the age of 89, and I would say it was a good death from all external appearances. She was surrounded by loved ones. She had time to prepare. The sacrament of anointing uh, was received. She didn't appear to be in especially great physical suffering. And so I think most observers would have said, She died a good death. Now, of course, when we think of Jesus on the cross, uh, we think of, of course, the supreme death. Uh, This is the death um, to destroy death. And the most common image of Jesus, this is what you find in Randall Smith's book, From Here to Eternity, by the way. The most common image of Jesus depicts him on a cross. And some images portray him as he was in death, hanging lifeless, you know, on the cross. Other images, usually more in the style of an icon, portray him on the cross, and yet he's risen. His eyes are open, his arms are outstretched, kind of inviting all of us to come to him. Now, both images try to capture the twofold truth that Christ truly died and is truly risen. I mean, he was truly man, and he he didn't just pretend to die. And he was truly risen to the right hand of the Father. And both those affirmations have been at the heart of the Christian uh, proclamation from the beginning. In fact, you can go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where St. Paul gives us what might be, what might be, in fact, the earliest creed that we have. It's part of uh, an oral tradition that he's receiving. And he says, 
For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Again, those are words connected to receiving oral tradition. And here comes the creed. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Saphos and then to the twelve. And then he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, right at the beginning of the chapter. A little bit further down in the chapter, he writes, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. You know, what he's hinting at, I guess he's not hinting at, he's actually proclaiming that Jesus as the first fruits goes before us. But we are to follow, uh, and we are to follow him uh, in both death and resurrection. And one thing should be clear uh, right away, and that is that the Christian promise of eternal life is not a promise that Christians will never die. Christ died, and so too will we. And uh, we should remember that Christ's resurrection doesn't suggest that our souls will be liberated from the prison of our bodies. No, our bodies are important. Christ rose bodily. He rose in the flesh. And this is so different than many religions and philosophical traditions that look upon death as a release or liberation. Okay? Not so. We believe that Christ will raise these mortal bodies and that death will be swallowed up in victory. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Underwritten in part by the following nonprofit. Finding good health care, encouragement for healthier living, or solid spiritual direction can be frustrating. That's why the Catholic health care alternative, CMF Curo, is offering a health sharing option. Curo's Christ-centered wellness services include Catholic wellness coaching, spiritual direction, and a Catholic community supporting your health and wellness needs. Visit cmfcuro.com to learn more. That's cmfcuro.com, where you can experience Christ's healing love in your health and wellness. Historic Sweetest Heart of Mary Church presents A Day with the Saints on Sunday, November 5th from 1.30 to 5.30 in the afternoon. Please join us to venerate over 100 first-class relics, including the True Cross, Holy Manger, Mary's Veil, and many more. The church is located in Detroit at the corner of Russell and Canfield, just north of Eastern Market. For more information, please see the Mother of Divine Mercy Facebook page or visit motherofdivinemercy.org. What is God's first gift to the church? The Catholic Catechism proclaims God is love and love is his first gift containing all others. The Holy Spirit, who has been given to us, pours God's love into us. The first effect of love is the forgiveness of sin. The communion of the Holy Spirit in the church restores the divine likeness that was lost through sin. The Holy Spirit gives us the first fruits of our inheritance, the very life of the Holy Trinity. That fruit is to love, says the Catechism, as God has loved us. The evidence or fruits of the Holy Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The more we renounce ourselves, the more we live by the Spirit. The mission of Christ and the Holy Spirit is brought to completion in the Church. 
This is Peggy Stanton, and this has been the Order of Malta's Minute with the Catechism. Have you ever really listened to the words of the Our Father? I mean, really listen and meditate line by line. For weeks I couldn't get the phrase, Thy will be done, out of my head. Thy will, not my will, but thy will. What is the will of the Father for us? When I started to meditate on that phrase, I realized I never really asked. I was so focused on my own will and what I wanted for my life. I really started thinking about that phrase when Speaker Tom Naimi told me what he said to God while serving a life sentence in prison. I messed things up pretty good, he told the Lord, but now I give you my life. Let thy will be done. A few years after uttering those words, Tom was released from prison and never did serve the 60 to 90 years he was sentenced. Today he preaches about healing through Christ and the will of God. What is God's will for you? This has been a Christ Center communication message. I'm Vanessa Dunhagarmo, a communications evangelist. Beckway Door is a top provider of garage doors as well as home entry, patio, and storm doors. Locally owned since 1978, we give free, no-pressure quotes at prices 20% lower than most competitors and often provide same-day service for garage door repairs. Mention Ave Maria Radio for 10% off the replacement or service of your garage door or the installation of new exterior doors. Visit BeckwayDoor.com. That's BeckwayDoor.com. Resetting your password. Unsubscribing from emails. Printing anything. Why are simple things sometimes so complicated? Thankfully, with an auto owner's insurance independent agent, getting the right coverage for your business doesn't have to be one of them. So you can get back to more important things like learning how that printer works. That's simple human sense. Call Choice Insurance Agency at 734-641-4200. Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. Thank you for joining me on this All Souls Day. With us right now, we've got Dr. Randall Smith. He's full professor of theology at the University of St. Thomas in Houston, Texas. His recent books include Reading the Sermons of Thomas Aquinas, A Beginner's Guide, and Aquinas, Bonaventure, and the Scholastic Culture of Medieval Paris. His newest book is From Here to Eternity, Reflections on Death, Immortality, and the Resurrection of the Body. I read a small portion of it in the first segment of today's program. You can visit him and follow his work at randallbsmith.com. That's Randall with two L's. Randall, good to have you back here. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Well, let's talk about All Souls Day. Why does the Church observe All Souls Day? Well, I mean, uh, people uh, like to pray for... I mean, it's not just that they like to, but people like to pray for their departed loved ones. I think it's an important thing. And so, you know, to have a day... uh, And actually, as you know, there's a whole month where we really dedicate it to um, especially... Uh, praying for those who have departed before us, both the saints and those that aren't publicly recognized as saints. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, as you know, like uh, throughout the whole year, right, we're supposed to think about uh, the death and resurrection of Christ, but of course we have a special celebration at a certain time of the year. The Church loves to do that, right? Uh, focus our attention at particular times during the year, on particular things, which doesn't mean we don't do it the rest of the year as well, but it's a particular thing. So for the month of November in particular, we dedicate to remembering and praying for and asking uh, 
for the prayers from uh, those who have gone before us. And those uh, those prayers are efficacious in uh, helping to free uh, the faithful departed from uh, purgatory. Yeah, we believe that um, it's part of the of the uh, of the Catholic faith. Now, of course, um, that as our Protestant brethren, they might be concerned about this, but um, our prayers are not somehow uh, separate from the. Uh, salvation won through Jesus Christ, um, but we're asked to be a part of that, um, you know, something that happens. I mean, I always, when people are worried about this, when, you know, I have Protestant friends and I grew up a Protestant, I always say, look, when uh, you're sick uh, or a friend is sick, and if you were the one who was sick and you said, oh, could you pray for me, or you're going for a big surgery or something or a big test, uh, or if a friend said, oh, I'm going in for a big surgery, would you pray for me? Uh, people do. Right. Right? And we believe that uh, just because somebody has died doesn't mean that somehow we can't continue to pray for them. And then we as Catholics do. And quite frankly, I think even those who aren't Catholic, they do pray for their, whether they believe in the communion of saints or not, they oftentimes do pray for those who have gone, their grandmother, their grandfather, yeah. their mother, their father. No, I, I I agree. There's a there's a it's almost intuitive um, that you want to in some way recognize them uh, beyond death, and you want to recognize your bond with them. And uh, yeah, no, I I, I think uh, many, many many people are are better than their theology. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> many and many cultures throughout history, of course. Uh, now, of course, Enlightenment people think that they're all just ridiculously superstitious. We as Catholics wouldn't have to think that. Uh, we don't believe in ancestor worship or that you, you know, you should feel somehow guilt uh, from your ancestors or you're haunted by them or something like that. No, because we believe that they're united. Uh, well, they're either in purgatory or they're united with God. Um, again, our prayers for the departed have uh, are related to our belief in the salvation of Jesus Christ. That's what's central to us. That's right. But because Christ is alive, they're alive, and uh, so we don't have to dismiss that completely. We can say, yeah, they had a sense that they were connected to these people who came before them, and we hope they understand connected in love. Yes. Um, in our society, we often um, repress death, by hiding it, uh, sanitizing it, and we also trivialize it. Uh, no big deal. It's just something that happens, um, natural processes. How should a Christian live towards death? This is a, one of the great, I think, tragedies of our cultures. You know, I've written about this, yep. which is that we just don't face up to this reality of, of death. I don't want to be morbid. I don't, more than anyone else any more than anyone else. I don't want to, you know, spend a lot of time sort of just living in it, but we do have to recognize it. And um, I think, again, as you know, I've argued in, in my book that all the business that surrounds death should be taken care of in the Church, and it should become a central part of the life of the Church. Yep. And I've uh, for a long time about uh, the restoration of churchyards, meaning cemeteries, right, burial places, around the church. I was in Slovakia recently with Robert Royal and, and this wonderful group of people for the Free Society Seminars, 
and we visited a couple churches there, um, you know, sometimes for Mass and sometimes just be an interesting, beautiful church. And, all, you know, very frequently uh, you would find that there was a churchyard, as you would if you went to places in England as well, and, you know, older places in the United States. So the people are reminded constantly of that reality. We, as you've said, oftentimes sort of put it off, you know, into sterile rooms. We don't want to look at it. We don't want to face it. And um, it's kind of sad because I think it haunts us then. Uh, It becomes very, very terrifying, more terrifying, Mm -hmm. because we, you know, we don't, we don't face up to it. it doesn't become a living reality for us and i know that's a strange pun a strange thing to say a living reality of course <laughs> as christians we believe right in in that christ lives yeah yeah no and and we the saints have taught uh, we there ought to be a proper preparation uh for death uh and i think you can't do that if you're trying to repress it hide it you know, or if you're trivializing it, uh, I think, you know, I, I mean, it's in some ways, well, death is not the kind of thing we, uh, you know, uh, I mean, the people, one way, let me rephrase this, there, one way, I didn't mention this earlier, but one way that people try to tame death is by thinking of it as kind of a release from the prison of these bodies. But that's an illegitimate way for the the Christian to think about death, too, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. I mean, again, I I always want to see a relationship between, I think this is the Christian genius, between the life we live here and our afterlife. And if you simply say something like, well, we get released from our bodies, right, um, and then we just become spirits. Well, that means our embodied existence in this life is, is essentially meaningless <laughs> right. and secondary. And that's not, I mean, it's very, very central, as I, I'm sure you know, to the proclamation of the gospel that you see, for example, in the letters of St. Paul, but not only in the letters of St. Paul, right, of the bodily resurrection, the resurrection of the body. We say it in the Creed. I'm always surprised when students are like, wait a minute, resurrection of the body, is that a Christian thing? I'm like, yes, say it in the Creed every time you go to Mass. Yeah. Right? Oh, that's what that means. We say resurrection of the body. Yes, you do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think I I agree. I people are surpri- often surprised by that. They they you mean, you mean this body? This body? <laughs> right. Well, yeah. and the point is, look, it is a glorified body. Right. I, I don't want to deny it, right? And so people are like, yeah, will I, will I still have the scar on my left? And the point is, well, look, I, I don't know. Right. Okay, right. although, it, but I, there's something very important. There's, when you look at the resurrection appearances of Christ, there's obviously something going on, right? He can be in locked rooms, but he's there. And they eat with him, and they touch him, Right. There's ways in which he, they recognize him, but they don't recognize him. So look, there is a mystery to the glorified body. I wouldn't, you know, I, I wouldn't deny that. Right. I can't say, oh, I understand this like we all understand. No, this is a, this something deeply important there, but that it's you, right? And there's this deep connection between the you you are now and the you you will become is, I think, something that we need to affirm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that our faith causes us to affirm that. And it's good news, right? We don't lose the people we love when they die. And they don't lose us when we die. 
That's the good news. Yeah, yeah, no, very true. Yeah, I, I, we we have turned we've turned death into basically a medical issue, um, and when we do that, we're really removing it uh, from the, I think the center of the church's activity. Uh, you you pointed out earlier in this conversation about uh, churches uh, burying the dead uh, on their property, and uh, I've seen this. In New England, Connecticut, where I grew up, uh, I, I, it was very common to see this in these old uh, old churches. Um, I'm just wondering, today there are Christian cemeteries here, but they're not necessarily connected with a parish. Um, just, do, do you know off the top of your head if there's any canon law dealing with this? Um, no. Uh, what... Some people will say is that, and there may be in certain circumstances, uh, city regulations which prohibit this, um, but they can be actually fought against. I once met a lawyer um, who said, oh, yeah, they tell you this, that it's, you know, et cetera, et cetera, but it's not really. Um, I don't know that, the, you know, all the ins and outs of that other than, I think you're right. It's central to church life. They've done it for, I always sort of think, if they've done it for thousands and thousands of years, right, the church has been doing it for 2,000 years, burying people. And um, you can go to downtown Philadelphia, you can see, you know, the graves of people from the, I guess it's okay. <laughs> Nothing seems, nobody seems to have died. It's not, you know, an environmental site, so I think it's okay. I did hear this disturbing story once where I was suggesting this and somebody said, yeah, this is a good idea. We should do this. And they had gone to the person who was uh, in charge of uh, um, kind of thing with parishes in the chancery office. And, and I don't know whether the bishop actually thought this. So I don't want to report. This. But anyway, this guy said, oh, no, no, no. The bishop uh, doesn't want to have churchyards around any parish because it makes it impossible to close the parish. <laughs> to which I oh. said... Once you hear that story, any parish person who hears that story would should immediately go out and bury five people in the backyard. <laughs> oh, that's a great story. Like, oh yeah, like to tell the to tell the bishop, right? We're putting down roots, <laughs> right? Like we're staying. We're not. This is our place, okay? Anyway, but that's I don't I don't know what, what, what the bishop thinks about it, but I think it should be done. Yeah, Randall, thanks so much. Good talking with you again. All right, thank you so much. Good day. Have a good day. Randall B. Smith, From Here to Eternity, Reflections on Death, Immortality, and the Resurrection of the Body. St. Thomas the Apostle Classical Catholic School in Ann Arbor is hosting an open house for its high school Tuesday, November 14th from 7 to 8.30 p.m. and enrolling through the 11th grade for the 2024-25 school year. Come and learn more about their rigorous and integrated formation that immerses students in the ideas and beauty of the Catholic faith and Catholic culture. St. Thomas looks forward to seeing you on November 14th. Please see sta2.org slash school. That's sta2.org slash school. Cresta in the Afternoon is underwritten by the following nonprofit organization. Real Estate for Life. Buying or selling your home or business property? Real Estate for Life can connect you with one of 1,400 pro-life real estate agents around the world. When Real Estate for Life receives a referral fee, they donate 70% to Ave Maria Radio and Human Life International. 
More information at realestateforlife.org or 877-LIFE-US-1. That's realestateforlife.org. We need your help. Hello, I'm Marianne Koharski, Director of Pro-Life Across America. In my 30-plus years, I've never seen such a concerted attempt to silence our efforts and at a time when it's most needed. There's a powerful effort to prevent and block our pro-life messages. Our billboards, social media, and digital ads are all impacted. Unplanned pregnancies still happen. Our ads feature a hotline number connecting callers with more than 3,000 pregnancy support centers across America, offering alternatives to abortion, free ultrasound, and pregnancy help. Babies' lives are being saved. The need still exists. It really does. And Pro-Life Across America needs your help. To donate, please find us at ProLifeAcrossAmerica.org. Did you know I could suck my thumb before I was born? Yep, we all started small. The Heart of the Interior Life with Elizabeth Jingle. What is spiritual consolation? In St. Ignatius of Loyola's 14 Rules for the Discernment of Spirits, St. Ignatius describes spiritual consolation. He offers five different descriptions of how God's love is made manifest in the human heart through spiritual consolation. Father Timothy Gallagher defines spiritual consolation as happy, uplifting movements of the heart directly impacting our life of faith and our following of God's will. There are many non-spiritual consolations found within the human experience, such as a beautiful sunset or a conversation with a good friend that brings an uplift of heart. St. Ignatius is directing us to notice our experiences of specifically spiritual consolation, those happy uplifts of heart that have to do with our life of faith and the pursuit of God's will in our lives. Have you experienced the gift of spiritual consolation today? For more information, visit AveMariaRadio.net. This program brought to you by the following nonprofit company. From Affirm Films comes Journey to Bethlehem. This wasn't a dream. An angel came to me. Can we? Can we? Look at the star. This is it. You truly believe that this child is the chosen one. What is his name? Jesus. Journey to Bethlehem. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. In theaters everywhere November 10th. Soundtrack also available. More information is at journeytobethlehem.com. Ave Maria School of Law is the Roman Catholic law school in the United States. Consistently ranked in the Princeton Review as one of the best and most conservative law schools, as well as pre-law's most devout law school. Ave Maria School of Law provides a traditional legal education while emphasizing how the law intersects with the Catholic intellectual tradition and natural law philosophy. Ave Maria School of Law, unabashedly Catholic, consistently excellent. For more information, visit AveMariaLaw.edu. I'm Al Cresta. This Sunday's gospel uh, really is somewhat climactic. It represents Jesus, uh, again, engaging the scribes and the Pharisees. And throughout the gospel of Matthew, they've had dialogue, they've had debate. But it, Matthew 23 kind of reaches ahead, and you've got denunciation uh, that goes on. Uh, it's really quite dramatic. And we're going to take some time. Uh, to meditate on it uh, in this segment. Uh, thankfully, we have Peggy Stanton with us. She's the author of From the White House to the White Cross. She's a dame of the Order of Malta. 
was ABC News' first female Washington correspondent and hosts many programs on Ave Maria Radio, including the Malta Minute with the Catechism. Her first book was The Daniel Dilemma, The Moral Man in the Public Arena, and newest book is The Order of Malta, Minutes with the Catechism. Peggy, good to have you here again. Thank you, Al. So good to be with you. Let me go ahead and read Matthew chapter 23, verses 1 through 12. Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees have taken their seat on the chair of Moses. Therefore, do and observe all things whatsoever they tell you, but do not follow their example. For they preach, but they do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens hard to carry and lay them on people's shoulders, but they will not lift a finger to move them. All their works are performed to be seen. They widen their phylacteries and lengthen their tassels. They love places of honor at banquets, seats of honor in synagogues, greetings in marketplaces, and the salutation rabbi. As for you, do not be called rabbi. You have but one teacher, and you are all brothers. Call no one on earth your father. You have but one Father in heaven. Do not be called Master. You have but one Master, the Christ. The greatest among you must be your servant, and whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Again, Gospel reading for this Sunday, Matthew 23, verses 1 through 12. Um, this is an intense passage. <laughs> Them's fighting words. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, so tell me what uh, you were reflecting on it and consulting the catechism. And yeah. Yeah. I just consulted a lot of uh, different sources. I must admit, I had, uh, I found this was a tough gospel to um, interpret in a way mm-hmm. it, it, you know there are things in there that you you don't quite understand mm-hmm. uh, for instance don't, don't call anyone father right. etc but so I I went to uh, I decided to go with um, <laughs> my favorite theologian John Bergsman yeah yeah uh, he does such a good job of, of bringing uh, bringing the gospel home I think to uh, we common folk no, he's great. Uh, you and I agree on that. Yeah. Well, he brings it into uh, historical context. And so uh, this is, of course, in his book, The Word of the Lord. He says, uh, in Jesus' day, the Sadducees, who controlled the Jew or Jerusalem priesthood, were not fulfilling the priestly role to instruct the people in the ways of God. So into the vacuum come the scribes and the Pharisees, who without any scriptural mandate to do so, nonetheless function as the catechists and religious educators of the Jewish common people. Hmm. And surprisingly, uh, Jesus doesn't uh, discourage uh, this uh, assumption he uh, in, does he does not encourages contemporaries simply to ignore them. He recognizes the need for authoritative religious instruction. Uh, he's I like the way uh, Professor Berksman puts this. He's not a religious anarchist, much less hippie, posturing against right. all authority and teaching his disciples to distrust anyone 
Bergsma says over 30, but I think in this case I would say over 33. (laughs) (laughs) Nonetheless, even though the Pharisees should be respected for having taken up the responsibility of the chair of Moses, which of course is a reference to the need for the authoritative interpretation of sacred law, which is the Mosaic law, still in force. Um, But he says not their hypocritical example should not be imitated. Uh, He's instructing his disciples, we should remember, that and of course they're going to be the leaders of a new priesthood and he is telling them they should not fall into the pride of the Pharisees. Bergsma says that Jesus in this instruction uses a literary device called hyperbole Mm -hmm. which he defines as a striking example in order to drive home a point. I guess I used to think hyperbole was lying. I guess I'll take that all back. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Jesus' intention, he says, is not that we drop the use of the words father, teacher, or even master completely from our vocabulary. We can see this in the scriptures themselves because the apostles although, of course, they were well aware of Jesus' instruction here, continue to call other human beings, or even themselves, Father. And here, uh, Bergsma points to a number of different citations from Scripture. Gosh, I think it went into about 13, 16, something like that, that he cited. Both John and Paul use the language of spiritual paternity. Right, Uh, yeah. So it is quite, uh, there's quite a few... Spot. A lot of Pauls, yeah, yeah. right, yeah. Uh, so, so what he is claiming is that Jesus was speaking uh, figuratively, not literally, uh, and he was also encouraging the apostles to cultivate the virtue of humility, to be aware they were brothers to the people they serve, children of the same father, telling them the greatest among you must be your slave. So then he he points out that over time, uh, the church developed the tradition of requiring of her leaders a de facto commitment to lives of poverty, chastity, and obedience before assuming a leadership role in the church. I wonder, he didn't cite exactly when that uh, took place. I wonder when when the church made that mandatory. No. Uh, off the top of my head, I don't know. Yeah, such a lifestyle resembles that of slaves in antiquity who had little or no pleasures or goods to enjoy in this life. And here's an interesting point that he makes. Even this high bar of commitment required in the Catholic Church has not kept out all who were unworthy of leading the people of God. Indeed not. But how much more so if those commitments had not been there? That's, that's something no, to no. think about. What kind of leadership would we have if the priesthood and religious life were paths to wealth, power, and sensual pleasure? Well, we actually For, saw it. Yeah, uh, exactly. We've seen it in the history mm. of the church when yeah. the episcopacy was, uh, you know, uh, a, a, a place where you could uh, have multiple sees and collect good amounts of money. We, we mm-hmm. know that the 
concubines were uh, held. Uh, so yeah, this uh, we've seen what happens when the ordained do not live the life to which Christ has called them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, we <coughs> we certainly have. Uh, then Bergsma urges everyone in any leadership profession, including and especially teachers of theology and scripture, to meditate this Sunday on the virtue of humility and the gift of self that Christ requires of those who would be great in the kingdom. And then in the Magnificat, you know, the little mis- yeah. daily missile yeah. we get, Very nice. I found such an interesting um, meditation of a bishop Eric Varden, who serves as a bishop in Norway, who was doing just what uh, Bergsma uh, encouraged. He was meditating on this, and this is some of his reflections. On humility. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. When I remember I am dust from dust, I make peace with where I came from. I choose to be what I am in fact, while voicing my desire to be more. Dust though we are, we can never find rest in being nothing but dust, having known the gentle touch of God's fingers. Hmm. God formed man in his image according to his likeness. He gave him the breath of life. Uh, The human being is dust called to glory. Hmm. Isn't that an interesting line? that is. To remain within that tension is a challenge. It takes time and strength of purpose to be reconciled to it, to accept that my nature is defined by a sense of incompletion so vast that it cannot be repaired within the order of creation, not by any possession, any accomplishment, any relationship, And to embrace this, he says, is radical poverty. I know that the fulfillment of my being can only come from outside myself. As a gift, I cannot heave myself up to the heights I long to reach. I love that sentence. Isn't that good? But I I can be carried there. Carried there. Love that. Yeah. 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 The hand that shaped me in God's image, that really fashioned me when I had lost my likeness to that, had refashioned me when I had lost my likeness to that image, reaches out to me now to raise me and carry me home. Am I humble enough to grasp it? The decision cannot rest on pious statement. It engages the depths of my soul and my flesh where currents are strong. We may have to fight terrible battles with ourselves to reconquer the guilelessness of childhood. To return to where we came from may require all our strength. Humility, this is another wonderful line, humility is not a coward's virtue. Its beatitude is found through an abandonment in faith that touches the heroic. That's that's beautifully written, and um, humility. I just repeat it. Humility is not a coward's virtue. Yeah, isn't that wonderful? Uh, it's found through an abandonment, mm-hmm. because in faith, it touches the heroic. Mm-hmm. So, again, to, to link 
humility with the heroic mm-hmm. really uh, gives you it's a... striking, a, isn't it? It is. It is. It kind of gives you a charley horse uh, <laughs> between the ears. Yeah. There's a good line, yeah, Al. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I just love the juxtaposition of those two qual- qualities. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, this is... This is a, this is really a down and dirty uh, fight between Jesus and the scribes and the Pharisees, mm. and this is where he's carving out his new community mm-hmm. and trying to give it, uh, say, you know, we we have a different DNA than you guys do. You know? <laughs> yeah, right. uh, we're we're going to be uh, quite, we're going to do things uh, quite differently, and uh, I do think also one notice that. Uh, John Bergsma referred to is the phrase the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, mm-hmm. and I think uh, it's nice to th- consider that because we think of the uh, Pope as sitting on Peter's seat, mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. even in time of the uh, at least during Second Temple Judaism, mm-hmm. uh, the uh, Pharisees, uh, the Sadducees, the scribes all recognized that there was some authoritative seat that had mm-hmm. the powers of binding and loosing, mm-hmm. and it was called Moses' seat. And so uh, even under the uh, Old Covenant, uh, we have this parallel with the Sea of St. Peter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a very interesting point, yeah. Well, I just think... Um I, I think the fact that uh, we're concentrating on humility is not just for the cleric, uh, the clergy. No. <laughs> I think it yeah. touches all of us, don't you, in any position of leadership. Absolutely. Yeah. Peggy, thanks. I hear the music coming up. Yeah. And uh, talk to you soon. Okay. okay. Next week. Bye. Peggy Stanton, again, uh, she's the author of From the White House to the White Cross. Beacon Skin and Surgeries is a comprehensive dermatology center on the border of Troy and Rochester Hills, south of M59 and in Livonia. Beacon Skin and Surgeries perform full skin exams and focus on the diagnosis and treatment of all types of skin cancer and precancerous lesions. All are board certified dermatologists and fellowship trained surgeons. Call 248-852-1900. Beacon Skin and Surgeries, a beacon for patient care. 248-852-1900. In your home, driving your car, or at your business, glass is an essential part of your world. Glass Doctor offers its high-quality workmanship to all areas of your life. Find peace of mind with the premium experts in glass solutions. No matter the project or product, our standard is safety always. Because there is nothing more important than what's behind the glass of your business car or home glass doctor a neighborly company hello steve ray here everything in the bible and in the catholic church starts with a book of genesis it reveals to us god's plan for mankind yet genesis can be daunting especially given the scientific discoveries of the last few centuries well that's where i come in with my new book genesis a bible study guide and commentary Discover a thoroughly catholic approach to this exciting and dramatic ancient narrative that is so often misunderstood You can get the book now on the store page at AveMariaRadio.net. Check it out. 
The Catechism defines evangelization as the proclamation of Christ and his gospel by word and the testimony of life in fulfillment of Christ's command. But what does that look like in real life? It looks like the St. Paul Evangelization volunteers out on the street sharing the good news with people in a non-confrontational way, handing out free sacramentals, listening to them, praying for them, teaching them, planting seeds, and letting the Holy Spirit make them grow. Visit StreetEvangelization.com and learn more so you can get involved in real-life evangelization. Good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. In the next hour, we take a continued look at the who, what, when, where, why of the mysteries of the rosary. Steve Ray, my guest, coming up. Just back, thinking back to this passage, uh, Matthew 23, verses 1 through 12, I, I think the scribes and Pharisees were guilty of making religious leadership more of a show than an act of service. I think it might do us well to ask ourselves, where do we see this kind of behavior popping up on the religious landscape in our own country? And of course, always the most important feature is, do we make a show of our piety? Jesus doesn't like it. from the studios of Ave Maria Radio in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Al Cresta is ready for conversations of consequence. This is Cresta in the Afternoon. Well, good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. Glad to be back. We've got another hour ahead of us talking about the things that matter most, and certainly the rosary is an important part of many Catholics' lives. And uh, my guest, Steve Ray, is going to be giving us a treat with an extended look at the who, what, when, where, why of the mysteries of the rosary. Now, we, we started uh, well, last week or maybe late the week before going through this. We are hoping to get them all in in the month of October, but uh, we weren't able to do it. But we're going to pick it up uh, from the Luminous Mysteries and Jesus' proclamation of the kingdom and take a look at, again, the who, what, when, where, why. We'll look at historical context. We'll look at uh, aspects of these uh, mysteries that are often overlooked. And again, to enrich our own understanding. And that will, again, help us enter more deeply into prayer. So stay with me. We've got another hour ahead of us. But first, the headlines. Thanks, Alan. Good afternoon, everyone. This is your Ravi Maria Radio News for Thursday, November 2nd. It's the commemoration of all the faithful departed. Today's news is brought to you by Ave Maria University. Your vocation location is at AveMaria.edu. Several people are injured following a major gas explosion in New York. A utility reports a contractor struck a gas line in Wappinger Falls, which caused an explosion and a building collapse. Emergency teams are on the scene. The extent of injuries remain unknown, although victims were transported to area hospitals by helicopter and additional victims are thought to be buried in the rubble. An agreement between Egypt, Hamas, and Israel is allowing up to 500 people each day to use the Rafah border crossing to leave Gaza. President Biden says at least 70 Americans have been able to cross into Egypt and more expected to do so in the coming days. More than 10,000 people on both sides have been killed in the Israel-Hamas war that began after Hamas launched attacks against Israel on October 7th. 
In battle, Republican Congressman George Santos will remain in office for now. Wednesday, the Republican-led effort to oust Santos fell short of the two-thirds vote needed to expel a member of Congress. Santos is under fire from both Republicans and Democrats for lying about his personal history and is also being charged with 23 federal counts that include stealing people's identities. Navy Admiral Lisa Franchetti is now the first woman to lead the U.S. Navy. She also becomes the first woman to be a permanent member of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. The Senate confirming Franchetti as Chief of Naval Operations today. California's birth rate is on a dramatic decline. Over the past 15 years, the state's birth rate has dropped 31 percent. Population experts say there are many reasons behind the big shift. Among them are couples who put off having children because they believe they can't afford them, a higher percentage of women in the workforce, and better access to contraception. From your Ave Maria Radio.net news desk, I'm Steve Clark. Good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. My guest, Steve Ray, is well known to you. He leads pilgrimages to the Holy Land, Rome, and other sites. He's a convert to the Catholic faith and author of a wonderful testimony story, Crossing the Tiber. He also has written an outstanding work of apologetics, Upon This Rock, which looks at the papacy. Recently, he's just released a new study on the book of Genesis. It's a substantial commentary. He's the host and producer of the Footprints of God DVD series. He's been to the Holy Land more than 200 times. And um, you can follow him at catholic-convert.com or footprintsofgodpilgrimages.com. You just got back from Birmingham. Birmingham, Alabama. Yeah. Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. AW10 live show with Father Mitch Pacwa on the book of Genesis and bookmarks with Doug Keck. Oh, on the same book? On the same thing. So I flew down and got two shows in one. Those are those are enjoyable people. They are a you know? lot of fun. Yeah, they are yeah. enjoyable, down to earth. Yeah, Father Mitch is just a he's a blast. Yeah, we met just after uh, just after I returned to the Catholic faith. He was coming through Detroit, and I had him on the air to talk about I think Catholics and the New Age movement. I think he'd published that book, and we had a mutual discovery. We had a mutual friend. And that's the late Dr. Walter Martin. Oh, yeah. Kingdom of the Cults. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he had some fascinating stories. Huh. He also had some good spiritual advice for me. Yep. Tell you about it some other time. Yep. Okay. <laughs> well, here we are. We're in the Luminous Mysteries. Um, again, we've done uh, the visitation. Excuse me. We've done the um, Joyful done. Mysteries. We've done baptism in the Jordan on the Luminous Mysteries. We've done the Wedding Feast in Cana. And now to the Proclamation of the Kingdom, which I know you pray on the outslopes of the Mount of Beatitudes. Yep. I, one of the things I wanted to do with this whole shows that we're doing is to give people kind of me, since I've been there so often and been to all these sites, give people an idea of where they are and what they can think about while they're praying the rosary, yeah, just sure. other than just reading that. To, yep. The proclamation of the kingdom. Well, where was that? Well, that's the longest sermon of Jesus. Three chapters in Matthew. Yep. That's there, and he's proclaiming the kingdom. So we we pray this mystery on the slopes 
off the Sea of Galilee, up and call it the Mount of Beatitudes. Not on top of the mountain, you point out, though. I don't think so, because, you know, if you go hear an orchestra, you don't, you don't, the orchestra's not above you, playing down to you. Mm-hmm. It'd be mm-hmm. hard to sit in a chair, you know, looking yeah, right, up. Right, right. You'd fall over backwards. The orchestra's down in the orchestra pit, and you're up in the theater seats. And I think that's exactly what happened, because on the mountain there, it's, it is a conclave. If, if from the sea, it almost looks like a theater shape. Okay. And I think it says Jesus went up the mountain, because it's making the point that he's the new Moses going up the mountain, right. sat yeah. and taught the people. And then what does he do? He reinterprets the law. But... That's how Matthew describes it, but I don't. He did go up the mountain, but I don't think he went all the way. Right. He was at the right. base of the mountain. The people were all sitting like in a theater shape, and there's probably twenty thousand of them. Yeah, I was going to ask. Uh, we have a good estimate of that. That's probably with twenty thousand. Yeah, that, that's based on the size of the amphitheater there. Yeah, but also it's based on the people were following him. Um, there weren't. There was maybe twenty five thousand Jews that lived up in that whole area along the Sea of Galilee. There, so at at any time it says that there were five thousand men only, not counting women and children yeah. and servants and everything. So you're you're considering there that um, when Jesus left Capernaum and went up on the mountain to preach, ninety percent of Capernaum and everybody went with him. Yeah, it drove yeah. the Pharisees crazy. He must have had some some voice. Oh, he, well, yeah. But then here's the technology. See, you and I are using the technology of today using yeah. radio waves. You know, if you and I were sitting here talking, we could yell all we want. People across the street aren't going to hear us. The technology gives us the ability to communicate. Jesus knew the technology of his day. The Greeks and the Romans built their theaters on the sea, facing the sea, because the the breeze from the water carries the voice up. When I'm up there on that mountain of Beatitudes, I can hear the fishermen out on the middle of the sea talking to each other wow. in their normal yeah. tones, because the the... the breeze it's like a microphone it carries it right up so jesus could he'd have to you know express himself but by staying at the base of there he could he could address them because the technology that breeze carried it up and he's in the right place they're in the right place and he could speak to twenty thousand people that's that's amazing so that's what people should think of what's going on here at the proclamation of the kingdom jesus is being presented as the new moses going up the mountain moses sat and taught and judged the people jesus sat and he taught the people new moses that's what matthew's trying to tell us jesus is the new prophet who is to come and he's reinterpreting the law for us yeah um, he's speaking to 20,000, uh, but we go to Transfiguration, he's got a, a much smaller audience. There. Another mountain, though. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Another that's right. mountain. The, the uh, ancient people loved mountains because um, they were very useful, and also th- there's always the idea of the high place you get closer to God, away yeah. from the noise of the world below. Uh, on the Mount of Transfiguration, uh, people always asked how long did it take them to get up there. Well, I one day had to find out, so I drove over there and I went up the top. I went right. Not I didn't take the switchback roads. I went straight up, and it okay. took me 50 minutes to get up. That was when my knees were good. It took me 50 <laughs> minutes, so I figured it probably took them an hour and a half because they weren't going as fast as I was. Yeah, yeah. And they get to the top, and the whole story of the Transfiguration, and this is what I would hope people think about. You have to understand Mount Sinai in order to understand the Transfiguration, because Jesus again is being, in a sense, he's, his divinity is showing. God spoke on the mountain at Sinai; He also spoke here. In, at Sinai, Moses gave the prophecy. God says that there will be a prophet from among your own people, and when that prophet comes, listen to him. 
That was back in Deuteronomy 18. Mm-hmm. Listen to him when my special, not just any prophet, but the prophet. Yep, yep. When he comes, listen to him. What did God say from heaven when yeah. Jesus was transfigured? This is my beloved son. Remember Deuteronomy 18? This is the one. <laughs> yeah, listen to him. him. Yeah, yeah, hear him. <laughs> <laughs> and um, the whole thing. At Moses' face was glowing, Mount yeah. Sinai. Jesus' face is glowing. A cloud came down. Clouds represent the glory of God. A cloud came down here. This is kind of glory. Yeah. That's right. And my favorite story of it is in Luke because there it says that Jesus was actually conversing with Moses and Elijah about his departure soon to take place from Jerusalem. Departure in Greek is exodus. Who's there with him? Moses. What did Moses lead? The exodus. Jesus is now leading the spiritual exodus. None of this was lost on Matthew. No. You know, we have to remember, these these may be surprises to us, but this... The Gospel of Matthew is a literary work, thought through. You know, I mean, he he is. Uh, it's crafted to show Jesus as the new Moses. Yeah, and uh, yep. new Exodus. Uh, and I think these two guys, why Moses and Elijah? Because when Jesus referred to the Old Testament, he didn't say like us, the Old Testament. He said the law and the prophets. Yeah. Yeah. The the scriptures are called the law and the prophets. Two parts. Who's the father of the law, Moses. Moses yeah. Who's the father of the prophets? Elijah. Yeah. So they're the ones there. I think they're handing the baton on to Jesus in a sense. They're saying, Lord, we brought it all this way. Yeah. Now here's the baton. You take it all the way to heaven. Yeah. All yeah. the way. We're going to go through the water like the Red Sea again of baptism. We're going to have the manna in the wilderness again. We're going to go through the wilderness and then you're going to bring us into the promised land. So here, Jesus, take the baton. And another interesting thing there is that people think that Peter was kind of stupid for saying, well, let's build tents for us here. You know, stay here. But according to um, Ratzinger, Benedict uh, the Pope, that was the time of tabernacles or the feast of tabernacles and booths and they were required by the Old Testament to build tabernacles Tabernacles or tents to live so in. So he's, he's he's very astute. Due diligence here. Very astute. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, a relationship between the Great Commission. Yes. This this is where the Great Commission took place. Yeah. We we read Matthew uh, twenty eight, the last three verses, and uh, go out into all the world, teaching, baptizing, not just people but nations. Baptizing yeah. nations and lo- and baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Well, where did he say that? Right. Two verses earlier, it says, meet me at the mountain in Galilee. Well, the Mount of Transfiguration is where they just were just a couple of weeks before. You know, Now, he tells them to go back there and meet me at the mountain. And why would he do that? Because Jesus loves a backdrop. And when you're on the top, you're 1,900 feet above the Jezreel Valley below. And on a clear day, you can see the Jordan Valley. You can see the this, this, uh, Mediterranean. And I think Jesus did it for effect. Go out into all the world, guys. Yeah. And he waves his arm. And Matthew, you go that way. And yeah. Peter, you go that way and sure. go out into all the world. Yeah. And yeah. that great commission took place on the Mount of Transfiguration after the resurrection. Yeah, yeah. Very good. Very good. Uh, we're in the Luminous Mysteries Institution of the Eucharist. Yep. Very interesting. Um, that room... In the upper room, it's still there today, you can go in it, although it looks like a mosque because the Muslims took it over and uh, they turned it into a mosque. And now it's a museum. It's like you can't have mass or anything. It's Jews have it in control of it, so anybody can go and do what they want. The only time anybody celebrated mass there in, in recent memory is John Paul II. 
because of his clout. They let him. That's and this is where the first Eucharist was, and we can't celebrate the Eucharist. So yeah. There's something wrong with that. Yeah, right, right. But in that room, four sacraments out of the seven. You have the institution of the priesthood. You have the institution of the Eucharist. Institution of confession, because that's where he said, those who sins you forgive will be forgiven. And that's since right. the Holy Spirit came down in that room, then there's the Holy Spirit. That's confirmation. So you've got four sacraments out of the seven in that one little room. Wow. And John chapter 6, that's where Jesus gives the promise of the Eucharist. Not the, John doesn't have the institution of the Eucharist. That's in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. That's right. But when you come into Capernaum, we're always the first bus because I hate lines. I like to be the first one. <laughs> and it says above the gate, the church of the promise of the Eucharist. That's where Jesus promised it at Capernaum in John chapter 6. Eat my flesh and drink my blood. But then it was made real in the upper room when he actually celebrated that. And I just make two quick comments. There was There's a problem when we see this because... You have to have a priest to kill the lamb, and you have to have a lamb. And we don't see either one of those things ever mentioned here. But there is a priest. It's Jesus. He's the priest in the upper room. And there is a lamb. Jesus is also the lamb. When you do the Passover meal, you have to eat the meat of the lamb. You go back to Exodus. Moses said, you have to eat the meat of the lamb, and then when we're done, we can get up and go from this place. Which is what Jesus said in the upper room after they finished. He said, let's go from this right. place. Same thing. But the, but he, why did he say, this is my body? Because you have to eat the meat of the lamb. Yeah. And he is the lamb. Right. So this is, here's, this is yeah. what you got to eat. This is the meat of the lamb before we leave. See, it's, I don't think people realize that, that this is why he said, this is my body. Because he is the lamb and he is the priest offering himself. And it's also like the nuptial meal because, you know, he's giving, the, the, the church is the bride. So he's giving his body his whole body to the bride. The bride receives him into herself. It's a nuptial meal. It's where they become one. It's the covenant meal right. of a marriage going on in this upper room. It's just not, oh, here, eat some bread. And I, I took a, two groups to Oberammergau last year, and I was very disappointed because in the upper room, in the, this whole thing with the uh, Eucharist, Jesus, all he said is, here, t- take this and remember me. Eat this and remember me. That was it. That's it. Because it, they have really Protestantized it and secularized it. The director said we have to bring this play into the modern world and emphasize the social and less of the religious. So in the upper room, because it's very a lot of German Lutherans and Protestants, in the upper room he takes the bread and he breaks it and said, eat this and remember me. Uh, oh, yeah, it's infuriating. But the, but the beauty of what actually happened in that room, this nuptial meal, this kind of like a marriage meal right. between the two becoming one, and Jesus the lamb giving um, the bread, uh, giving his body to the people to eat the lamb so they can get up and go. And it's a re- re- again rehearsal for the marriage oh, supper. it's absolutely. Yeah, at absolutely. the end. It's end fantastic. Uh, There's so much to say. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, music just came up. Yeah. Uh, we're going to take a break. We'll come back, continue conversation with Steve Ray. We'll begin looking at the sorrowful mysteries, uh, the agony in the garden, the scourging at the pillar, the crowning with thorns, the carrying of the cross. And uh, so stay with us. And we're going to do as much as we can to get through the uh, mysteries of the rosary, the who, what, when, where, why of the mysteries. I'm Al Cresta. Princess Mediterranean Grill is family-owned and operated. We are available for all of your catering and carryout needs. 
Whether it's a Sunday family meal or a large event, allow our family to serve your family the finest Mediterranean cuisine in town. Please visit our two locations in Farmington Hills and Commerce Township. Visit our website, princessgrill.com. That's princessgrill.com. Or call 248-624-5600 and ask for Kenny. This program is brought to you in part by Charity Mobile, a proud partner of Ave Maria Radio for over 15 years. Charity Mobile is the pro-life cell phone company and has sent nearly $2 million to thousands of pro-life charities. 4G LTE coverage is available nationwide, and 5% of your monthly plan price goes to your favorite pro-life charity. A video introduction is available at CharityMobile.com. Charity Mobile, everyday living, effortless giving. CharityMobile.com. Light of the East, weekends on Ave Maria Radio. I am Father Thomas Loya. This week on Ave Maria, I hear the echoes of the coming Christmas season, and it presents us with not only a spirit of gift, but also of saints and angels to focus upon in our preparation. Now on Ave Maria Radio's newest FM stations, 105.5 FM in Southfield and 107.9 FM in Ann Arbor. teaches that Jesus Christ is literally and wholly present, body and blood, soul and divinity, under the appearances of bread and wine. In the Bread of Life discourse documented in John chapter 6, Jesus states that He is the bread of life, and that His flesh is true food and His blood true drink. The Jews were scandalized in verse 52, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus does not back down, but reiterates this teaching four more times over the next four verses. Many left in verse 66 because this teaching was truly difficult. But at no point does Jesus water down his teaching and call them back. No, he allows them to leave, and even questions his twelve apostles if they too wish to leave. Jesus intended to be understood literally, and the Jews, apostles, and the Catholic Church absolutely take him at his word. Examining the truth of the Catholic faith, this is faithforensics.org. not over. Unplanned pregnancies still happen. I'm Marian Kuharski, Director of Pro-Life Across America. In my 30 plus years, I've never seen such a concerted attempt to silence our efforts and at a time when it's most needed. There's a powerful effort to prevent and block our pro-life messages. Our billboards, social media, and digital ads are all impacted. Our messages feature a hotline number connecting callers with more than 3,000 pregnancy support centers across America, offering alternatives to abortion, free ultrasound, and pregnancy assistance. Babies' lives are being saved. The need still exists. It really does. And Pro-Life Across America needs your help. Please find us at ProLifeAcrossAmerica.org. Did you know I could suck my thumb before I was born? Yep, we all started small. Good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta, with me Steve Ray, taking a look at the mysteries of the rosary, the who, what, when, where, why. We've just finished up the luminous mysteries, and now we get to the sorrowful mysteries, which begin uh, the agony in the garden. Uh, and th- th- this is a 
visually, it's an impressive place. It is. Yeah. It is. And there are six trees in that garden that are over 2,000 years old. And olive trees don't die. They continue to grow. You have to destroy them, actually, to get them to die. And those trees, biologists have said, are over 2,000 years old. I like to say, if those trees had ears and eyes and a mouth, yeah. they would tell you what they heard and saw the night Jesus was there. Those trees were there when yeah. Jesus was there. And, and it says in John's Gospel that Jesus crossed through the Kidron Valley and entered a garden. And boy, you've got to stop right there, Al, and say, why a garden? Why does he mention a garden? Because he's taking you back to the primordial garden of yeah. Eden. And the first Adam brought about sin at the tree of life, and he was kicked out of the garden. Now the new Adam, Jesus, he's recapitulating. He's yep. starting like a yep. video rewinding. <laughs> Rewinding, and he has to step into a garden to do it because it's a picture of the Garden of Eden. And there he he does it. And interestingly enough, John also tells you that the cross and the tomb are also in a garden. So that there's this garden, the Garden of Gethsemane and the Garden of the Cross and Tomb. There's this continuity so that it's all a picture of the Garden of Eden. And you have a tree of life where Adam brought about death. Now there's a tree of death where the new Adam brings about life. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, I will say that I think that's where the pain of the passion really took place. The crucifixion of Jesus was a merciful crucifixion in a way because it was only three hours. I was going to say, it was short. It yeah. was short. And, and there are records of keeping men alive for over a week. Can you imagine alive I, for I, over a week on I the cross, can't. hanging there, I, I don't totally naked and abused and, and just lost control of your bodily functions for a week? Jesus was only three day, three hours. But I think the real pain was here because I th- this is where the sins of the world descended on him. And he who knew no sin became sin for us. Not a sinner, but a sin bearer. Right. Right. And he is. it never says that, that God is love, 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 or justice, 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 but he is Holy, holy, holy. And here the Holy One of God took all the sins of mankind into his own body. Can you imagine the spiritual, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Just the sense of that sin and alienation. So that happened in the Garden of Gethsemane. The agony was not just that, oh, I know I'm going to die. No, the agony was him taking on the sins of the world, and it was so bad. There's a a medical term called hematidrosis. That's where sweat actually bursts out of the... Sweat glands, right? Yeah. Hema means blood. Tedrosis is sweat. Yeah. And it's an actual medical condition. So Jesus, and we we pray mass there at the rock where he sweat drops of blood. So people should think of this again as now Jesus is not the new Moses. He's the new Adam. And he's stepping into a garden at the agony, taking all the sins of the world on himself. And he's now about ready to redeem us and rewind or re recapitulate everything that the first Adam screwed up. Yeah, I, 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 Jesus is really uh, carving out a, a, diff, a new destiny yeah, he is. for the human race here. Right. Uh, and at the cross, it says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Why a serpent? Don't you think of Jesus should be represented on the cross as a lamb, not as on a snake on a pole, but at that moment to get in the Garden of Gethsemane, I think that's where he became the serpent in a sense because he took the sting of the serpent himself. He took death and the sin and the poison. All of that he took. And it says in First John that he took the devil and he destroyed him yeah. at the cross. Yeah. So that's why he's represented as the serpent. Yeah. Fascinating. Uh, scourging at the pillar. Yeah. Um, again, nobody can think of the scourging at the pillar if they've ever seen Mel Gibson's yeah. Passion of the Christ. Why? They... You, you, the imagery is just overwhelming. Yes. Um, tell me 
uh, the Jews were limited. They could only limit 40, they, they could only lash. They could la- They could use the flagellum for serious crimes, but they were limited to 40 lashes. And you notice that Paul says that he was, I think it was seven times that he was beaten like this. Yeah. And his back, when, when he says, I bear the brand marks of Jesus Christ, if it, what he means, you look at his back, you'll see the brand marks mm. of the lashes of the whip on his back. And so, but he said, I was lashed 40 minus one, because the Jews were afraid they would miscount. That's right. That's right. And break yeah. the law. So that's they right. would always. This just, is their hedge around <laughs> the law. Built the hedge. Yeah. So, yeah. And so make sure we don't break the law. We're only going to whip them 39 times. But the Romans had no such limitations. Really? They could whip a person as long as they wanted. And they were gleeful about it because they were told this is the king of the Jews. The Roman soldiers were not from Rome. The leaders were, but the soldiers were conscripts from Egypt and Syria. They conscripted people into the army. And Egypt and Syria, and these were enemies of Israel. And so now they say, You've got, we've got the king of Israel, the king of the Jews. Let's, that's why they put yeah. the purple robe in a crown. They didn't do that with everybody. we got the king of yeah, the Jews. This is a these, lot of political theater oh this is political theater at its best and now let's teach this this king of the jews all of the animosity of those countries that hated israel you know you see it today too it's the same kind of thing they're going to go after jesus so they they could whip him as far as they want and and with those flagellums they had bits of metal there was no osha requirements manufacturing requirements for these whips these soldiers would sit around the fire at night and say i got, I got a really good idea to make this more painful than one and they yeah. would just they would make these whips with all the creativity they had to make them the most damaging so when that lash hit jesus with those little pieces of metal in it the blood and the sp- and the pieces of flesh just splattered. If you were anywhere within twenty feet of that, you would have been splattered with Jesus's flesh, bits of flesh and blood. Mm. This is the the scourging at the pillar. I think Mel Gibson did a great job. Yeah, yeah. by his stripes we are healed. Yeah, fulfilling uh, Isaiah's yeah. prophecy. Uh, we have then the crowning with thorns. Uh, this is. Um, is there any other record of this that? No. Anybody else getting the crown of thorns? No. This, there's two things I would say about this. One is they're, again, mocking Jesus as the king of the Jews. Yeah. So they're going to put a crown on him. They said, oh, he's the king. Hey, let's make a crown for this king. And then they, they pounded it down. They said they took a reed, but that was a stick, and they whack, whack down on his head. And I'm a bald-headed guy, and I know how painful the scalp can be. And that yeah. that would have been unbearable. But I think it's also there's a typological uh, going back to Abraham offering his son Isaac, because when Abraham offered his son Isaac, he um, the, the the lamb, the ram was his head was stuck in a thorn bush. Yeah. yeah. And when Jesus went to the cross, he was like Isaac. He, the, the, God was the only begotten. Uh, Abraham said, had his only begotten son Isaac, and God had his only begotten son, and they were at the same place, Mount Moriah, and God the Father, His Son also. His head was caught. His head was stuck in a thorn yeah, bush, the yeah. crown of thorns. Wow. Wow. And that uh, that crown of thorns, uh, that's a whole image. And also, what was the sign of the curse of the earth? Wasn't it thorns? Yeah, thorns and thistles uh, for your work, Adam. Right. And so I think that when Jesus wore the crown, he was also bearing, in a sense, the sign of the curse of the earth. Yeah. So he was not just redeeming us. But he was redeeming the cosmos, the curse on the earth, and even had the, th- the crown of thorns, which was the sign of that curse. Do we have any idea, uh, coming up to the carrying of the cross, do we have any idea what it weighed? 
I've read that it weighed between 100, 110 pounds. Okay. And so when the stations at the cross have said Jesus fell the first, second, and third time, it doesn't say he fell in the Bible, but it's common sense. He's been beaten. You saw, he's been, Thursday, he was put in a prison. It's, it's on Mount Zion. It's a, a big cistern where Caiaphas' house. We take our groups down in that cistern where he was over Holy Thursday. Then they beat the... But Jeevers out of him, like in Mel Gibson's movie. Now he's his his tongue is swollen. He's in shock. He hasn't had anything to eat or drink, and he's got to carry this hundred and ten yeah. pound yeah. beam of wood. Of course, he's going to fall three times. He probably fell a lot more. That's why Simon the Cyrene had to come and help him. But what's car- the distance? Um, when we walk the stations of the cross, if we were just to keep walking, it's about fifteen minutes. Yeah, it's okay. a, it's a it's a good distance. Yeah. Um, it's not in Mel Gibson's movie. It's a long walk, way up. You see, yeah. you're going, but it's not that far. Uh, and the, it would have been through the city. Even today, it's very difficult to do the stations of the cross during the day because there's shops and there's cats and there's <laughs> trash in the road and right. there's there's motorcycles. It's it's a walled city, but they still cars. If you live there, you can drive cars. And it's, it would have been get this guy out of the way. He's getting blood all over my merchandise. Get him out of here. It, 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 they didn't know who he was. I mean, some knew who he was, but this was a common occurrence. Right. They took him from the Antonia out to the gate, and they crucified people out there. Jesus not the only one. They crucified him outside the city gate. It was a billboard. Everybody coming in and out of the city saw it, and, it, and this Rome was a big billboard that read, Defy the power of Rome, and this will happen to you. Uh, any speculation on why Simon the Cyrene was chosen? I just think he was a hapless... A victim, in a sense. But this is an interesting thing about it. Um, John tells us that Jesus carried the cross. And I think that goes back to Isaac carrying the wood of the sacrifice. He's he's the new Isaac, too. Jesus is the new Isaac, carrying the wood of the cross. But but the other ones say that Simon helped carry it because it was heavy. And I I see him in his three-piece suit and his briefcase on his way to a business meeting, you know, and they say, come over. I just bought this suit. I'm going to get it. Are you kidding me? But it was the best thing that ever happened to him because he got too close to the blood of Christ in him. And we know that in later, in I think it's Mark's gospel, his sons Rufus and Alexander, who were the sons of Simon the Cyrene, wow. were leaders in the church, which meant that he must have been converted because of that encounter with Christ. And then his whole family came in because his two sons were leaders in the church a few decades later. Wow. Ah, that's great. It's a great story, not often told. Uh did uh, Jesus? We say he fell three times, but you think more. I, I if I was, I mean, I'm G- given the the, 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 the pain, yeah, the, the pain, the suffering, and stumbling, the weakness, and nothing is even. The ground's not succulent. Not yeah. like walking on yeah. a blacktop. It's yeah. everything is uneven and slippery. In yeah. the morning, the, it's the ground is from the dew. Even in the um, it's Jerusalem limestone. It's slippery. Uh, we get to the. Uh, Crucifixion, um, as we're doing the Sorrowful Mysteries here. And uh, we're going to take a little bit of time on this. I see a a break is coming right up here. And then we'll be also going to the Glorious Mysteries uh, in the next segment. We'll do the Crucifixion, and then we'll pick up on the Glorious Mysteries. 
And then, um, you know, I think we may be able to get almost to the end. I think we will. Yeah, okay. <laughs> well, I guess Steve Ray, the who, what, where, when, why of the mysteries of the rosary. Again, trying to understand these events, uh, how they're rooted in history. Um, space, time, you've got, uh, we know a great deal about this era of human history and much of the uh, scholarship regarding Second Temple Judaism has helped us understand better uh, these mysteries of the Rosary. I'm Al Cresto, and we'll be right back. Today's programming on 990 WDEO is brought to you in part by a gift from our day sponsor, Prudence L. Thank you so much for your support to help build the church and bless the nation. You can be a day sponsor, too. Would you like to send a salute to your parish priest? Say happy anniversary to your parents or spouse? You can have your own day on Ave Maria Radio. Call toll-free 1-877-288-1077 and say, I want to be a day sponsor. This program is brought to you by the following nonprofit underwriter. Finding health care for yourself and your family can be isolating and confusing. That's why the Catholic Health Alternative, CMF Curo, is offering Christ-centered health sharing for individuals and families along with new wellness services to help heal and restore your whole person, spirit, mind, and body. Visit cmfcuro.com to find out more. That's cmfcuro.com, where you can experience Christ's healing love in your health and wellness. On the next Epiphany... All hail King Jesus. Hi, Vanessa Denhagarmo here. Let's intentionally adore Jesus on this first Friday. And tune in to listen to Mike Stekschulte share the stories featured in Detroit Catholic. Mother and unborn baby care is having a banquet on November 19th. Nancy Peterson and Sherry Ballinger want to invite you. Epiphany, weekdays at noon on Ave Maria Radio. Hello, Steve Ray here. Everything in the Bible and in the Catholic Church starts with the book of Genesis. It reveals to us God's plan for mankind. Yet Genesis can be daunting, especially given the scientific discoveries of the last few centuries. Well, that's where I come in with my new book, Genesis, a Bible study guide and commentary. Discover a thoroughly Catholic approach to this exciting and dramatic ancient narrative that is so often misunderstood. You can get the book now on the store page at AveMariaRadio.net. Check it out. It's time for Family Man with Dr. Gregory Popchuk. Conflict is an inevitable part of family life, but how we handle disagreements can make a big difference. When the temperature starts heating up, try pausing long enough to do two things. First, say a quick prayer, either silently or, if you can, out loud with the person that you're having conflict with. Ask God to strengthen you with the help you need to resolve the conflict in a respectful and loving way. Second, take a moment to reframe the disagreement. Instead of viewing it as a battle to be won, think of it as an opportunity to grow and strengthen your relationship. The goal in any conflict isn't to decide who's right or wrong, but to understand each other better and find common ground. To learn more about handling family conflicts gracefully, check out our books Parenting Your Kids with Grace and Parenting Your Teens and Tweens with Grace, or visit CatholicCounselors.com. I'm Dr. Greg Popchak, but you can call me Family Man. To discover more ways faith can enrich your life, Visit CatholicCounselors.com. This program brought to you by the following nonprofit company. From Affirm Films comes Journey to Bethlehem. This wasn't a dream. An angel came to me. You are in danger, Mary. This child 
What is his name? Jesus. Journey to Bethlehem, starring Fiona Palomo, Milo Mannheim, Lecrae, Joel Smallbone, and Antonio Banderas. Rated PG, parental guidance suggested. In theaters everywhere, November 10th. Soundtrack also available. More information is at journeytobethlehem.com. Cresta in the Afternoon is underwritten by the following nonprofit organization. Real Estate for Life. Buying or selling your home or business property? Real Estate for Life can connect you with one of 1,400 pro-life real estate agents around the world. When Real Estate for Life receives a referral fee, they donate 70% to Ave Maria Radio and Human Life International. More information at realestateforlife.org or 877-LIFE-US1. That's realestateforlife.org. Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. With me, Steve Ray. Our topic, the rosary, the who, what, where, when, why of the mysteries. And then we're uh, just at the close of the Sorrowful Mysteries, crucifixion and death. Uh, again, this is the this is the moment of our salvation. Yep. Um, and again, as you pointed out, in the place he was crucified, there was a garden. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. If you don't think of the gallows or an electric chair being in a garden. But right. here is where they crucified people, and John tells you it's in a garden. Not the other three Gospels, this one. And I think there's a pun. He kind of winks at us, because if we miss the point that it's a garden, who did Mary Magdalene mistake Jesus for? <laughs> the gardener. And right. what was Adam in the original garden? He was the gardener. Tiller of the soil. Adam yeah. was the tiller. He was the gardener. Jesus is the new Adam, the gardener in a sense. But that's it has to be in a garden because he's rewinding history and undoing what the first Adam did. Mm-hmm. And um, the scandal of the incarnation, God becoming man, can you imagine what the angel said? He's going to do what? Leave the glory of God and go down there and sweat and be hungry and have to go to the bathroom in a bush every yeah. morning? I mean, why would God, why would God do this? Yeah. And then the first scandal is bad enough, the incarnation, but then the scandal of the cross where he's actually going to die for us, God himself. So this is just what happens there. Now, also something else, and especially ties into the rosary because it's, about, it's also about Mary, is when she was 15, when we did the earlier Rosary Mysteries, we talked about how the, it was a, the prophet comes up to her and said, a sword will... You can just see his white beard wagging, you know, while he's saying this, his old wrinkle face, a sword will pierce your soul also. Well, a 15-year-old girl with her cuddly little baby means, so a sword's going to hit my baby and me also? How does a 15-year-old girl process yeah, that? Yeah. She had to live by faith. She pondered it in her heart, but now at the cross, she knows. And there's that that statue. I remember when you were sitting up there, yeah. when you went there with us, and there's that statue of Mary with that sword right in her chest, and it's just it's very, graphic. It's 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 Stunned. very engaging. Yeah, you can't take your eyes right. off exactly. it. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree with you. Um, we have there the. In a way, the rebellion of the earth yeah. at his crucifixion. Yeah, I think we have the earthquakes and the sun went dark. I think the earth said, no, he's our creator. The earth understood. I guess even nature reacted against it. Yeah. It yeah. just said, it, I could just see the, the cracks. And those cracks, you can see them at Calvary. The, up on top of the, the rock, you can still see the big crack in Calvary where those rocks cracked and broke. Um, that, that was really quite something. And also... You, Jesus has seven short words yeah. on the cross. Yeah. But of course there's short words because he's 
He's yeah. rising up on his nail and his feet to just to catch a breath, and then he, oh, you can, he's gasping for air. He's not going to get an exposition. No, he's not yeah. going to give us the, the Sermon on the Mount was three chapters long. You're not going to get that here. Right, so, right. Um, another thing is, uh, I one of my favorite paintings of the crucifixion is Rembrandt's, mm-hmm. and I've seen it in the Antikotapitic Museum in Munich, Germany. Alta Kona Pitta. I can't, it's a hard word to say. <laughs> anyway, it, it's called the raising of the cross. And when you look at it carefully, you see the guy that's pulling the hardest to raise the cross has a, a Dutch painter's beret on his <laughs> head. And that is a self-portrait of Rembrandt raising Christ on the cross. And then the guy behind him is a centurion, and he has the sword, but he's holding the blade, and he's handing you the handle. And he's saying, here, you put Jesus on the cross too. You run him through. Oh. Wow. And so if you want to see that, just look up Rembrandt raising, raising the, cross. the cross and yeah. just look at that. It's Rembrandt who's raising it and the centurion's handing you the sword handle first so you can stab him in the side. So, well, uh, glory's mystery. Glory, we, we're yeah, doing it. We're, we're doing it. Things. We're getting there. Of course, the resurrection leads off. And um, so many books have been written on this. Uh, Arguing uh, on the basis of the witnesses, um, it, it is a, it's a it's a it's an amazing fact of history. Yep. it's much more than a fact of history. But the point is, nobody has succeeded in coming up with a better explanation. No. And uh, I remember one time when I was first Catholic and we were together and there was a priest. I don't know if you remember this. Oh, I think I and know. And you and I were together. We were both ran, brand new at coming back into the church. You and I just was a new convert. And yeah. he said, we we're talking about this, he said that if you had a video camera in the tomb, you would not have seen the body raised because it was a spiritual Yeah, event. I remember this. And I remember, I, I remember telling him, I said, Father, I'm a brand new Catholic, but that's heresy. You're a heretic. Because yeah, this is a bodily resurrection. Yeah, he, he was a New Testament scholar. Yeah, who uh, was in town. I, 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 I thought that. you might remember that. Was shocking. Yeah. yeah, it was for me. And it, there's, <laughs> it's a bodily resurrection. If I, it's, can, I can remember saying to him, "Look, Luke talks about the eyewitnesses that he's consulting with here. Yeah. So they saw something. If it's not a bodily resurrection, then our whole hope is wasted because yeah. uh, he hasn't conquered death." <laughs> Right. The whole fact is, is he did come out of the tomb, yeah. Yeah. and uh, the curtain in the temple split, and uh, all these things happened, and um, uh, all three persons of the Trinity were involved in that. The three persons of the Trinity do everything together. In Genesis, I showed how they created the world together, mm-hmm. and they raised Jesus from the dead. Jesus said, "I will raise my body." Remember, yeah. he talked about how I will raise it in three yeah. days. It says in Romans that the Spirit raised him, yeah. and God mm-hmm. the Father. They yeah. all they work together at that everything. Right. Yeah. So at that resurrection all three of them were there doing that uh raising him from the dead uh resurrection is followed by uh the ascension yes again this is essential to our faith absolutely uh, he, he ascends to the heaven he sits at the right hand of the father yep um do you can you find intimations of the ascension in the Old Testament? Well, one of the things I like to do is when we're standing on the Mount of Olives and, and we look up, especially if it's a cloudy day, he said he went up. You just imagine for three years you're with him, he's always on the ground. And yeah, then all of a sudden yeah. you're, he's talking to you and he starts going up. And it's got to be, it was and the last thing you see is the bottom of his dirty feet, you know. He's, he's, <laughs> and he goes into a cloud. A cloud because it, a cloud always represents the glory of God. Right. 
the power and the glory. So he's going back up into the glory of heaven. That's what the cloud is symbolizing. So think of that when you're praying the mystery of the ascension. But if you want to know where did he go, where, where did he go? He went into the clouds. But you go back to Daniel chapter 7, and it says, I saw in the night visions with the clouds yeah. of heaven. There came one like the Son of Man. Yeah. And he came to the Ancient of Days, God the Father. And he was presented before him and given dominion and glory and a kingdom. And nations and the nations and language will serve him, and he has a kingdom that will never be destroyed. So you look in the ascension. Where did he go? Go back to the Old Testament. You see what happened on the other side of the cloud. Yeah, <laughs> he went that's with, right. That's right. Presented to the Father and, and given a kingdom. And he and the interesting thing is, Al, he today still has that physical body. When he took on the incarnation and became a, man, a human with a body. When he went up into heaven, he still has that body in heaven. Mm-hmm. The catechism says that. And it's scarred. And, and well, you'll be able to see the scars, exactly. Yeah. And yeah. it's also seen because in Revelation chapter 5, it says that I looked and I saw before the throne of God a lamb standing, yet mm. those slain. It's the Passover lamb. Jesus is the Passover lamb. And you can still see the wounds of that. Yeah. And one of the great paintings called The Adoration of the Lamb is out in a field. The lamb is there and his throat is slit and the blood is gushing into a golden chalice. And it's yeah. a picture of what God God sees in the morning when he wakes up and he wipes the sleep from his eyes. First cup of coffee. What does he see? He sees the sacrifice of Christ, the bodily form of Jesus. That's why we have the crucifixes in the church, so we can see the same thing God sees. Yeah, yeah. Um, you, you quote the Catechism here: "He who exists as the Son of God before all ages, indeed as God, of one being with the Father, is seated bodily." After he became incarnate and his flesh was glorified. Yeah, and that's something. Yeah. That's a, he's going to take us bodily into heaven, too, to yeah. experience the same thing. And interesting, it's a sorrow. The, the ascension is, it seems, you know, great, joyful. It is a glorious mystery. But for Mary, it was a sorrowful thing yeah. because she was saying goodbye to her son. Yeah. She yeah. even, during his ministry, she didn't have access to him like she did earlier when he was a boy and a young man. But now she watches her son, and yes, it's a glorious thing for her, but she sees her son go up to see it with the right hand of God the Father, but she has, she's saying goodbye to him because she's not going to see him physically here anymore, yeah. which is a sad yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, it, and he didn't look back up in the cloud and say, hey, guys, don't forget to read my book. <laughs> Jesus didn't leave a book. What Jesus left was 12 men, yeah. and they taught and practiced, which became the tradition. And part of that tradition was written down and became the book. And Let's do the descent yep. of the Holy Spirit. Okay. We're talking about Pentecost. Um, this is where the third person of the Trinity kind of comes into his yep. own. In the Old Testament, God finally gets the Jews to accept the fact that there's one God. It took them a long time. Finally, okay, God takes a deep breath and he says, now I'm going to introduce you to the second person, my son. Those are, that's the <laughs> Gospels. Now in the book of Acts, the descent of the Holy Spirit, he takes another deep breath and he says, now I'm going to introduce you to the third person of my family, of our, of our Trinity here, the Godhead. Here's the Holy Spirit. So the descent of the Holy Spirit took place in the upper room, same place of the institute of the Eucharist, the descent of the Holy Spirit came down, the, they could hear the wind blow. 
blowing. Again, this is Sinai. Yeah. They're on a mountain. Fire came down. At Sinai, fire came down on the mountain. But here, it's much more personal. God is coming now to dwell with the people. And they were afraid. And I think they were afraid of God in, in this upper room. Because when God came down in fire on Mount Sinai, they ran and hid and said, Don't you ever let God speak to us again. From now on, you go talk to him and come yeah, back and tell right. us what he says. Yeah. Now they're going to sit there on another mountain. And the Holy Spirit's going to come down. God's going to come down. And it's going to be in fire. Don't think they weren't scared. What the heck does that mean, fire? And it came down on each of their heads. So you mentioned 120. Yeah, 120. That's interesting because in the Mishnah, and it doesn't say 120 people. It says 120 names. Oh, that's interesting. So now that's like if I'd have 50 people on a bus and I say, hey, Al, we, Al, we had 50 names on our bus. And yeah. So I had to look it up. And I found that in the Mishnah, the tradition of the Jews at the time of Jesus, one of the rabbis says that if you if there's a group of people that want to leave the main community and go out and start their own new city or government, their own new community, they had to have 120 names oh, on a list. So what's happening to the church? They're the called out ones. Ecclesia called out. And they're going to start a new community called the church, and they needed 120. Yeah. And, and by can, the way, the Knesset today, the Parliament of Israel has 122, still based on that. It's fascinating. Uh, the Assumption of Mary, uh, again, uh, there's a difference between the Ascension of Jesus and the Assumption of right. Mary. One, the ascension is when you go up with your own rocket pack. <laughs> you go up on your own power. <laughs> the assumption means you're assumed. Someone, she's not God. She right. can't do this. So somebody has to, like Elijah the prophet was assumed into heaven. Enoch was. Mary was assumed. Her son reached down and he brought her up. And it's very much like what happens in the book of, of first, uh, Second Kings 2. Um, no, I'm sorry, First um, Kings chapter 219, when Solomon, his mother, walked into the room, he's the king of Israel, and he bows to his mother, and then he makes a new throne at his right hand, yeah. and he sets his mother on the throne, and from that point on, through the whole history of Israel, there was always a queen mother, not the wife, it was always the mother of the That's king, right. and she was the queen, and she was an intercessor for the people, and if the son, if her son took the throne as a young man, say that he inherits the throne, his father dies, he's only 10 years old. Who's going to teach him how to be the king? His mother is. She's seated at his right hand. Coronation of Mary will be done. Yes, coronation of Mary. <laughs> Revelation chapter 12, verse 1. Behold, I looked into the heavens and I saw the woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She's the one that gave birth to the one who, who ruled the world with a rod of iron and a devil went out to do war against the rest of her offspring. Who's that? That's us. Mary's right. not only the queen, but the mother of the church. It's right there in the book of Revelation chapter 12. <laughs> Nobody reading that in the first century would have doubted no. the connection with Mary. And we did it, Al. We did it. We got, we got the whole thing. <laughs> Good Steve, thanks again. You're welcome. That was a fun time, and I love being with you. Thank you, Al. <laughs> Steve Ray, follow him at catholic-convert.com and footprintsofgodpilgrimages.com. I'm Al Cresto. Be right back. Support for this Ave Maria radio program comes in part by the non-for-profit St. Anthony Services. Are you shopping for mortgage products, Catholic investing, Catholic health, real estate, or estate planning? StAnthonyServices.org can help you find a Catholic professional for these needs. They regularly connect faithful citizens with faith-based professionals that share our Christian values. More information at StAnthonyServices.org or 877-LIFE-US1. The following is a medical moment. Hi, I'm Bobby Schindler, brother of Terry Shivo. The American Medical Association says informed consent to medical treatment is a fundamental right 
established in both medical ethics and U.S. law. Patients have the right to receive information and ask questions about recommended treatments so that they can make well-considered decisions about care. When speaking with a patient regarding different procedures and care options, a physician must give accurate information about the diagnosis, treatment, benefits, and risk, and allow the patient to ask questions. Ensure the patient understands the consequences of the treatment alternatives and decide if the patient is capable of making decisions with a sound mind. Document the informed consent conversation and the patient's or their healthcare agent's treatment decision. It is vital to have a healthcare agent who is aware of all your wishes, values, and medical information so that your wishes are respected in the event you are not able to make these decisions at some point. This Medical Moment, brought to you by MyLifeAngels.com. Would you get on a plane that doesn't have a pilot? Investing in passive index mutual funds may present the same issue. The Ave Maria mutual funds are actively managed by seasoned investment professionals to help you meet your investment goals in a morally responsible way. Ave Maria funds are managed to conform to pro-life and pro-family values. Long-term investors could invest in the no-load Ave Maria mutual funds. You can learn more about the Ave Maria Mutual Funds at 866-AVE-MARIA or visit AveMariaFunds.com. I'm Al Cresta reminding you that uh, the books that we discussed on this program today can be found at AveMariaRadio.net in the online bookstore. Steve's books are, are there. We've also got uh, Randall Smith's book, From Here to Eternity, a very thoughtful look at the death, immortality, and the resurrection of the body. Um, again, Peggy's books are also available there at AveMariaRadio.net. Um, you can also check out the Cresta Guest Archives. We will have some follow-up material dealing with the topics that we discussed today. And it's easy to get to it, AveMariaRadio.net. Look in the upper right-hand corner of the homepage. You'll see my face there. Tap it, and that'll take you to the Guest Archives. Thanks so much. Lord willing, be back tomorrow for another edition of Cresta in the Afternoon. Cresta in the Afternoon is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. To follow up on any of the guests or information presented on today's program, visit the Cresta Guest Archive at AveMariaRadio.net. That's A-V-E-M-A-R-I-A Radio.net. To listen to this or any other edition of Cresta in the Afternoon, visit the audio archives at AveMariaRadio.net. Or to order a CD of the program, call 734-930-4506 or email orders at AveMariaRadio.net. That's 734-930-4506 or orders at AveMariaRadio.net.